Good afternoon, podcast world. This is Mark Bassingthwaite. I'm the Risk Manager with Alps. Welcome to the latest episode of Alps in Brief, the podcast that comes to you from the historic Florence building in beautiful downtown Missoula, Montana. I've got a treat for you today, and honestly, it is is very much an honor and privilege uh, to introduce uh, our guest today because uh, there's a family relationship here. This is our oldest uh, son, Tristan Bassingthwaite, and Tristan has an interesting uh, story to share we're going to talk about and just have a little fun. Uh, and at, at the end, trust me, there is a message here that, that relates to the practice of law. But before we jump into our conversation and uh, share why uh, we're interviewing Tristan, uh, Tristan, could you just take a little time and, and share whatever you'd like to share about yourself for our listeners? Uh, yeah. Um, I am originally uh, from Montana as well. Um, I've spent the last 10 years or so uh, living in Hawaii and around the world. Um, have three architectural degrees with a focus in space architecture and extreme environmental design. Uh, design t-shirts on the side just for fun. And uh, as part of my research for the doctoral studies, got to uh, live in a simulated Mars base for a year for NASA. Very cool. And that, that's what we're going to talk about. And when, when Kristen talks about his experiences, I have uh, caught up with him in, in uh, Singapore, where he was doing an internship. I caught up with him in Bangkok, which and what were you, I, it was uh, a, just spring a, study abroad. a spring study abroad. That's right. He's been in Copenhagen, uh, did a year in Shanghai. But uh, we're gonna we're here to talk about this Mars simulation. Uh, and, and Tristan, again, can you give us a little background? Who who runs this simulation? What what are we talking about in terms of the, the, the name of the project and hmm. a little background? Uh, the simulation itself is called uh, High Seas. It's for the uh, Hawaiian Space Exploration Analog and Simulation. Uh-huh. Uh, it's run by UH with a partnership of uh, ten to fifteen other universities around the world and. Um, NASA actually gave the program about $17 million to do a series of simulations um, studying social and psychological aspects of long duration isolation, confinement, um, essentially trying to find a way to pick a crew for an actual Mars mission that will not self-destruct, remain happy, um, sort of soft topics, people research. Yes, yes. As a dad, you know, I remember fondly over the years, and I can recall when you were even a, 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 a wee young one running around the house, you know, you would say things like, you know, Dad, I'm going to be an astronaut someday, and Dad, I'm going to go to Mars. And, and I guess technically, you know, with all the things going on with SpaceX, you know, I, I, I guess it's still, uh, you know, who, who knows what's going to happen here. But in your own way, you've already done it. And it's, it's, it's just an interesting path. Can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, how did you end up here? What, what, what got you into the program? How did this all play? Honestly, it was a giant, uh, almost mistake. Um, I was doing research while living in Shanghai for my master's yes. on um, extreme environmental design. And I came across the blog of a Jocelyn Dunn, who was the science officer for High Seas 3. And um, while you can't do any direct communication because at the time she was in her simulation, um, you can leave comments on like blog posts and they can respond. Um, I asked her a bunch of questions since it was related to my research. She got back with her actual mission email and I got a bunch of fun stuff, good data. And uh, she suggested that I was um, interested enough, maybe I should give uh, the next mission a shot. And I said, what mission? I had no idea there was going to be a, another one, and it turned out that it was out of my home university back in Hawaii. So I just 
kind of applied on a lark and um, did all the uh, sociology tests online, did the Skype interviews, talked to the psychologists and got it all narrowed down. And then uh, was quite surprised when they invited me to the wilderness survival in Wyoming. So went out there, we did a, a week in the bush and they picked the final six and I made the cut. Yeah. Um, I found out later a lot of the people who were also selected for crew specifically told them they wouldn't go without me. So <laughs> you know, I, I went from um, not knowing that Heises existed to being locked in the dome in about three and a half months. Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. And for, for those of you listening, uh, this turned out to be, and I think still holds true to this day, the longest simulated mission run. Uh, am I correct? It's it... the uh, longest NASA Mars simulation mission run. Um, they've got one or two longer out of Russia and China, oh, okay. but they were um, extended isolation experiments, not so much mission simulations. Yes, and, and this uh, project, again, went uh, 366 days. Yeah, we got it on a leap year. Yeah, yeah, really. And I, I want to underscore one point. Uh, you shared a comment here about the delay talking to the person that uh, initially got you interested in this. Um, as, as a parent, you know, when Tristan was uh, on Mars, quote unquote, uh, there is a, a, a delay. You, you cannot have real-time Skype or real-time email or anything. Uh, you, you can send an email and it takes 40 minutes because that would be the amount of time a signal would normally take to go to Mars. So everything about this, this simulation, they really did everything they could to, uh, to make it feel very, very real. Uh, there's, uh, so it's, it's just an interesting process. Um, what was your role? Uh, I came in as the crew architect, essentially. Um, so more of a research role than anything because the lab was designed, but while in there, um, I was conducting research on how people were reacting to the environment, how we might be able to uh, change it for another series of experiments. Um, I also managed all of the uh, EVAs, paperwork, and was uh, one of the de facto head chefs. Ah, yes. <laughs> Which I gotta say again, as a dad growing up, Tristan wasn't known in the, in the house or in the, within the family as a uh, as, as a culinary uh, wizard. He has a younger sister who actually went to the Culinary Institute of America in New York and is is an extremely talented person uh, in, in the kitchen. But uh, it's been nice that Tristan has since really developed some skills. So I'm proud of that as well. Unfortunately, mostly with dehydrated foods. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah. Actually, you should share a little bit about that you know what what was it like in terms of just can you give us just a a quick overview you know of what day-to-day life is like in this dome I mean what in the amount of space can you take a shower do you have personal space you you know can you just give us a sense briefly of of the environment yeah uh the downstairs the entire area might be um a thousand to eleven hundred square feet, uh, so a very small home. Right. Um, with another maybe four hundred square feet up top. Um, each crew member essentially got their very own closet to sleep in. It's about the size of the bed, and that's it. Yeah. Um, you can have a shower, um, but you get two minutes of shower water per person per week. So make it quick. Yeah. And can it- you explain why there's only? Two minutes worth of water? Yeah, you were just not allowed to, to use it. Uh, essentially, there's only um, so much water on the planet you would be able to use. It would have to go through a million-dollar water recycling uh, machine. Right. And um, it's just it's just part of the uh, keeping supplies as right. efficient as possible. Right. Yeah, so that's, that's pointing out, you know, the, was there recycling going on? Um, yes. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, certainly that's... 
There were water deliveries, but uh, it, it is very much limited. And there were some interesting stories uh, where, where systems didn't necessarily always work. So food. And yeah, food. We have a uh, shipping container full of um, high-quality survival rations. Yeah. So the stuff you'd see online where it's like uh, an old coffee can with, um, say, chunk salmon, but it's like $85 for uh-huh. that can yeah. because yeah. once you put hot water in, it's pretty freaking good. <laughs> like, um, the whole time I was in school, grad school, everything, like, call it that nine-year period, like, in the dome with the dehydrated survival food was the best I ate, like, by a long shot. I made double-layer chocolate cakes, uh, mole sauce, enchiladas. Wow. Uh, cool. I invented the pizza cupcake. Yeah. A, a pizza cupcake. Oh, yeah. man. Okay. Now you're talking. My kind of my kind of grub would be fun. Um, how... How did the sort of day-to-day tasks, as opposed to the research, I, you know, I, I guess I'm still trying to get a sense of, of, of what it was like to be in the dome socially, because yeah. that's really what this whole experiment is about. Um, yeah. Did, did uh, was there a lot of camaraderie, a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, just, and, and what did you guys do as a group? Because there's just the six of you for yeah. 366 days, no real time. You know, you have no connect. You have no internet access in no. terms of being able to browse and say, you know, is, is Earth still with us? Yeah. So no phones. It, yeah, no phones. It, it's how did how did that plague? Um, uh, you do a lot of stuff uh, together because you have to. Right. Um, we had maybe fifteen official experiments, and then maybe ten of our own that we're just doing for our own personal research. Mm-hmm. And a lot of those were um, extravehicular activities where you would be doing. Um, well-coordinated group work trying to do stuff in caves or out with cones, um, just traffic cones we had taken out and mm-hmm. uh, navigating the lava. Um, inside, there's a um, uh, team-building exercise where you're trying to uh, maximize your personal score and the team score, and it's sort of testing how an individual will um, favor themselves versus the group with various uh, scenarios, and it's all pretty subtle. Yeah, yeah. And uh, outside of that, um, there's definitely... Um, I wouldn't call it a, a schism so much, but there's always the person, say, at work, where you get along with them the best, they get your humor, whatever else. Right. And, right. you know, they'll be your go-to lunch person, for example. Um, there's definitely that in the Dome as well. So when... Um, Just on a small scale. Yeah, yeah. on a small right. scale. Right. Yeah, exactly. You know, you're talking about the social um, aspects of life there. Uh, the first thing you have to do is remove all the um, social interactions you might have with family because they're not there anymore. Um, you don't have the ability to be... Uh, an uncle or a brother or an aunt or anything of that sort. Uh, yeah. You don't have uh, lovers or dating relationships. It's just you have your coworkers. So mm-hmm. your society has become massively simplified. And now you're trying to um, sort of fill the social gaps that have been created with the people that you're with. So uh, Yeah, I want to come back to that. But, I, I, you know, we're sitting here talking and I, I want to explore the EVAs a little bit as well. But, uh, you know, I, I, my apologies, listeners, I, I do think I've, I've made an assumption. We haven't let people know where you are. You know, so where is the dome? And let's just describe that oh, a yeah, little bit sure. because that plays into the importance of, of what happened and, yeah. and where all this is and, and why the study took place where it did. Hmm. But can you fill us in? Where, where is this? Yeah, it's a uh, geodesic dome, so just a half sphere, like a half of a buckyball, right. um, covered in tarp. And it is up on a quarry that's about... 8,200 foot elevation from sea level, um, halfway up Mount Aloha on the big island of Hawaii. Um, just barren old lava flows as far as you can see. Some of them are the um, 
really smooth lava flow that looks like frozen syrup and you can run yeah. around on it. Others look like peanut brittle from hell. Yeah. Um, incredibly difficult to get across. I went through like four pairs of hiking boots. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I recall I had to help buy a pair because they, they do these resupply missions. And so uh, if we learn that, that one of the astronauts and, you know, we, all, we most of us are taking care of our own family members, if you will. Yeah, although you can send uh, things for anybody if you really wanted to. And, but it takes some time, you know, so we would buy a pair of boots and yeah. it gets sent. And then when the uh, resupply mission approaches Mars and drops some stuff off. So that's that's how they, they got through some of this. And I can assure you, I, w- I was out uh, with my wife when they returned to Earth. So we were uh, at the HAB when they they came back and got to explore this area. When Tristan shares that this is some rugged, remote, uh, crazy places i'm telling you it is and we talked about caves and these are lava tubes they're exploring uh and i assume well i guess i i don't assume because i know but again let's share with our listeners here um you talk about being you know restricted to the dome and then we have these evas this is not you know put on a t-shirt and a pair of shoes and go explore can you Uh. describe this a little bit yeah, if you want to get outside, and it's not for a normal mission thing, because, I mean, we've got all of our regular UVAs. Like, so let's say I just want to go for a walk, essentially. Right. Um, I would need to create a sort of EVA plan, so like a map and a list of activities, uh, where I'd like to go, what I'm doing, and a time for it. Right. I have to submit that to mission support, and they will approve or deny it. They usually approve it. Um, and, and there then, really is again. There, yeah. there is there mission support. These are people on the ground. There's yeah. these delays. It's just like dealing with mission control if you're on the moon, except yeah. much further, much further out. So yeah. there are all these time delays. Yeah. But, if yeah. I'd like to go outside, I won't even get the um, basic yes or no for maybe 25, 30 minutes if they're watching their email in that moment. It'll right. normally take several hours. Um, but let's say it's um, so it's approved. Yeah, yeah. Let's say it's approved. Right. Um, then the next day, because it's definitely not going to happen the same day, um, I need to get at least uh, four people together, including myself, so that I've got a buddy to go out with me. I need a Habcom person to man the radio and monitor where we're at, and then a scribe who will work with Habcom to write down what we're doing, when we did it, um, important bits of the conversation to send all this data back, since it's part yeah. of the experiment. And yeah. if you were actually on Mars, you would, of course, need to do this as well. Uh, then you need to put on a simulated spacesuit or the hazmat suits, um, wrap your shoes in duct tape and other protection uh, because it is very rough. <laughs> it is like glass. Uh, you need to set yourself up with um, a camelback, a uh, headset that goes around your neck or your ears and hooks into your walkie-talkie, and uh, get your fans all set up to keep you cool. That takes about uh, an hour to 90 minutes, and then you've got to go into our little airlock, which is um, between the habitat and our storage container, uh-huh. uh, which is where all our old supplies are, and uh, just count down from five minutes. Wait for the uh, pressure to simulate getting pumped out. Right, decompression. Then, or, yeah. or, right, right. Then you can go outside. So, uh, And then you, of course, have to follow your mission plan and take pictures and do all the rest. Yeah. So it's still work. Yeah. Um, if you want to go for a walk, it will take you 24 hours and a lot of camaraderie. Yeah, and so what I'm hearing, you know, if, if you even just have, you know, sometimes, I, I think just day-to-day regular work, every once in a while, uh, something stressful happens, or and you just need five minutes, or you just need to go out and calm down or relax or just take a break and things. This is a day's work. Yeah. Okay. How did that impact you? 
and, and your your colleagues. Uh, you have got to do uh, other things, um, yeah. like uh, say exercise. Uh -huh. um, we probably did uh, an average of two to five hours a day just to uh, resist cabin fever more than yeah. anything. Get out the stresses. Yeah. Um, you can uh, shout into a pillow. Uh, you can talk calmly with the person driving you crazy because if you get into an actual like argument, yeah. that's that's kind of going to be awkward for quite a while. It's uh, it's hard to repair a, a relationship when you can't escape each other, calm down. Um, so while you could say go into your room, you can still hear everybody in the habitat, or you right. could go hang out in the shipping container, but then you're just standing next to a bunch of crates of food in the dark. So. Yeah. Yeah. There's not really like, oh, I'm going to go to the cafe and relax for a bit. Like, yeah. you can yeah. put on the VR headset and look at a beach, but you've got to set up the computer, and yeah, it's it's not easy. Let, let me share a story. You know, I just um, I, I can share. Now, now Tristan is is certainly someone who is in in great shape. Um, prior to his his time in the dome, I never knew him to be much of a runner. I mean, he certainly would work out and do things, but this guy was not what I would call a hardcore runner in any way, shape, or form. And you ran a complete marathon in this dome yeah. on a treadmill. Yeah. And this was not the world's most sophisticated, high-tech, brand-new kind of piece of equipment. No, Soviet Russia, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and I just share that because, you know, I, again, I, I, I think it's important to understand what we're really talking about here. I mean, to, to just to work out on this crazy treadmill with the, am I remembering correctly, just one window, which yeah. is a small little window yeah, to look outside. Pizza, give or take. Yeah, okay, so the size of medium pizza. And you can run on the treadmill and look out that, that window. Um, I, I just think, to me, that, that struck, uh, struck a chord with me in this sense of, wow, you know, just to try to make things work. This is how far you go, and you run a marathon. And and you know, and it, there was a lot of joy and pride and pride working to this. I mean, yeah. I think it became something of a, a goal for everybody to you know yeah. to to have these kinds of accomplishments. Um, before I get to some final questions, I, I want to give you a moment or two. Are there any sort of interesting stories? Anything you like to share? Something kind of fun or unique about the whole experience? Um, yeah, I think uh, some of the most interesting parts of it, um, I mean, were, of course, like what you found you could get through or how you might right. react to stress. Right. Like, I have very little doubt that um, given the right crew, I could definitely do it for real. I mean, you're going to yeah. suffer a lot, but I mean, it can be worth it. Marathons are never comfortable, but they're yeah. always worth it at the end. Um, but I was uh, quite astounded by the geography out there that you don't see typically. Um, like if you're just standing at the dome and you were, Looking around, it's, it looks like a bunch of lava flows and yeah. rocks, and it's yeah. just, it's barren it's a, country. It is very barren. That's um, right. In my time there, I discovered completely on my own, or with Carmel or Cyprian, just out looking. Yeah, fellow um, fellow yeah. astronauts. Um, perhaps fifty lava tubes. Um, some of them with um, caves inside, bigger than a house. Uh, yeah. Skylights with beams coming down two stories, and a little uh, yeah. patch of plants growing out. Um, weird undulating just smooth caverns moving through the countryside yeah. and um one of them we hiked underground for maybe a kilometer yeah and then popped out the other side we got to map these things and just see the most ridiculous geography you can imagine under there yeah. with stalactites of frozen lava and crystals and all these things and surreal yeah so when i hear that actually in, in some ways 
uh, would it be correct to say that these experiences of really exploring in, in so many ways, it really is a, a foreign landscape. You know, very few people live in this kind of landscape. You know, there's obviously people in Hawaii that, that, that are, are quite familiar with it. But would, would that become something of a sanctuary just to go out and, and see and explore uh, uh, oh, yeah. some terrain that, that's just very, very new and very, very different. Oh, yeah. I mean, we actually ended up doing a great deal of um, lava tube exploration and mapping yeah. uh, sort of additionally that we weren't required to do, right. but we just enjoyed being underground so much. Like, uh -huh. Once you get in there, you're out of yeah. the sun, your suit cools down, yeah. uh, the geography is amazing. Um, Cyprian and I actually uh, rappelled down a uh, skylight and found a little cave and crawled to the back, and there was a... Um, sort of a hole in there about the size of a, of a lounge chair or whatever. Yeah. And with our flashlights and everything else, we could not find the bottom, sides, or top. It was oh, man. a black hole into an endless abyss. And wow. we both said, let's not come back here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. whoops, wrong yeah, footing or just, definitely. yeah. Like, it'd be cool to go back with like real climbing gear and a team and see what's up because... Or I maybe fly some little... Yeah. Uh, Put a drone or a something. A drone down, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. But I feel like if I had fallen into that, I'd still be falling. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't wow. think it was. That's very cool. Um, I'd be Would you do it again? I would absolutely do an experiment of that nature again. Yeah. Um, at the time of my life, it was like perfect for finishing dissertation. Worked. Right. Like, yeah. yeah. Um, right now, um, working freelance, paying off student loans... Um, it wouldn't be uh, quite so in keeping with my uh, direction, but if um, I got hired as a space architect for SpaceX, for example, and yeah. they needed the crew to uh, do a six month to practice okay. and stuff like yeah, yeah and I see I see where you're going, but let me take that even further. Uh, okay, so you've had this simulated experience, and that's say, uh, you know, SpaceX and one of these other companies really does get it together. The the equipment's there, and they're going to send a crew up. And uh, I don't know, it, it's 10, it's 20. I don't know what these early crews will look like, yep. you know, but it, it's, and I, I think you would agree with me that, uh, you know, these early flights, the, the first man flights, even if they have stuff already on Mars in terms of robotics and, mm -hmm. you know, a little fuel or water already there waiting and that kind of thing, I, I think it's pretty much a given that this would be a one-way trip. Uh, I, would you disagree with that? Yeah, it, it's actually um, relatively safe. It's probably safer to do it than it would be to uh, sail to America way back in like the 1600s. Well, that's interesting. Huh. Yeah, okay. like you're going to go and the ship design will either have it so that when you land, there's already a robotic craft that has right. fuel waiting for right. you. Or you will stay a full year and make some more fuel and then come back. So it'll either be like a three-year round trip or like a yeah. five-year round trip. But as long as you don't have a crazy equipment malfunction or a solar flare that kills everything on yeah, the way Yeah, I know. Out, See, that, that's the radiation yeah. piece of this. And, yeah. and the low-G environment for an extended period of time, I, I still think there's a lot of oh, medical kinds of things we, we don't know. But, yeah. okay, that's, that's getting on a tangent here for a moment. But I guess what I'd say, so you've had this simulated experience. Um, and uh, Elon calls up and says, hey, you know, I, I, I saw the podcast. There's a yeah. podcast about it. It's called The Habitat. If you, if you want some fun, six episodes, I encourage you to take a look. It's, uh, that, that's, a, that's a lot of fun, too. But, um, and he says, Tristan, we've heard about you. You know, we, we'd like to get an architect up there and just have some experience to help with future design. We want to see what it's like to experience the space of the, uh, of the transportation space as well as a livable space out there. So you're the guy. Would you go? 
Yeah, yeah. I would not hesitate at all. That'd be the life's dream, essentially. And and how about, um, you know, I I, I guess it's it's. it's I, I take that at face value because, be honest, if, if if they offered, said, your dad has a slot too if he wants to go, it's like, honey, I, I'm going. Would you like to come? Because, <laughs> yeah. you, know, yeah. you know, you and I are just those kinds of folks. I just, it, there's, it's a great unknown and the call to go see and experience that. I, I, I get that. Um, thinking about that, however, in, in light of the simulation you did go through, are there learnings or takeaways that you have? Um, you know, I, I know NASA and uh, these universities have been processing data, and, and I, I don't think as of yet there's been any formal reports released. There's just so much data here to process. Yeah. But um, what do you, what where do you come out with this experience in terms of will the crew, using the Elon SpaceX example? make it in terms of the social dynamics um, what are the challenges what what do you take away from the experience uh you're gonna have uh two major obstacles to get over and um the main one is the fact that you're in this small space with people so it's going to be um who are you taking with you like okay. if you're going to actually um go on the, the, the real mission you would go through a great deal more selection than I went through. Like more tests, yeah, right. you would probably do three months completely isolated on a mountain with your crew to try and find out like where friction might exist. And there would be shakeups and changes for probably five years leading up to the mission. So the crew you end, end up sending is probably going to be The best solid. of the best that just, yeah. yeah, they, yeah. they can read each other's minds and they all admire and respect each other. They yeah, know when to shut yeah. up, they know when to speak. Right. Like it'll be a flawless crew. Um, after that, you have to realize that if you put any person in a barren white room for long enough, they'll go insane and start talking to themselves. Mm -hmm. You need um, environmental stimulation. You need social stimulation. Um, if you can build a, uh, a small craft to get there or a large base once you're there using robotics or whatever else, that's able to, as much as possible, simulate the social and environmental complexity of your life on Earth, you will be happier. Yeah. Um, that's it. If you can just like not sell your soul for mission success and remember who you are and what okay. makes you uh -huh. able uh -huh. to last, um, this isn't a marathon. This is running a, around the world over yeah. a yeah. year. If right. you don't stop and take care of yourself, you're going to break. Yeah, yeah. And and uh, that's kind of where I want to go here in, in a little bit and, and uh, wrap all this up. Um, I've had the uh, great pleasure to an opportunity to speak with uh, some of the people that uh, designed the mission and uh, uh, some of the researchers. And uh, Tristan uh, hasn't shared this yet, but I, I can share that uh, what became uh, very important, I think, not only for Tristan, but truly for the entire crew, uh, one of Tristan's contributions uh, was just to bring a sense of humor. Um, any comments on how humor played into, uh, would you agree that, that that was an important component to kind of keep yourself and everybody? Um... Yeah, absolutely. Um, ultimately, at the end of the day, stuff's going to happen with people who are being intransient or an environment that wants to kill you or a ship yeah, that's not yeah. working quite as well or all of the uh, pancake batter runs out, and now yeah. we've got to eat healthier stuff for two right. months until the resupply comes. Right. Um, you can't control any of those things, right. but you can control how you react to them. And if you have exactly. to choose between levity or uh, getting really down about it, 
I mean, one of those is going to lead to a better income. Right. If you watch The Martian, you know, Mark Watney's stuck up there. Right. For a long time. Yeah, yeah. You know, so he starts uh, making light of himself and talking to potatoes and yeah. asking goofy questions. And that will save you. Yeah. You know, yeah. if... Yeah. And what I liked about it, because um, we had some conversation via email and yeah. there's some other ways that we were communicating that we can't get into right now. But in terms of just... There were different technologies being tested throughout this this uh, this simulation, but uh, you know one of the things that I started to see just as somebody monitoring and watching a little bit, um, you know, you guys quickly had to get to the point of where you know we can't control this and life's too freaking short, and, and so instead of getting upset, you, you had to try to find other outlets to include. You know, if it takes a day to get outside to walk, you do that, or, or you have some fun, practical jokes, a little bit that are harmless, and, and, and those kinds of things. Let me, uh, as we start to wrap this up, and, and I want to sort of tie it back to some earlier comments you made. Um, would it be fair to say, too, that an important takeaway um, would be really beginning to understand the importance of support systems. Uh, I, I recall hearing from all of you in different ways that uh, it was surprising who stayed the course throughout the entire uh, 365 days of trying to remain in contact and who said they would at the beginning and then just drop off oh, yeah. uh, off the earth uh, <laughs> or, or off the map uh, or radar, whatever you want to talk about it here. Uh, and, and so... Um, could you share just a comment or two on, on the value of support systems? Yeah, I mean, there's sort of a, especially an American cultural thing where, uh, for men especially, like, we're all an island and we're not supposed to, like, need or desire anything from yeah, anybody. And yeah, right. Those are typically exactly. the types that end up in the woods by themselves in a cabin. Well, it's, it's the classic right stuff when you think yeah. about the early astronauts. Yeah. And that's know? the thing. Um, if you think of... Um, not Neil Arthur, call, call it Buzz Aldrin, you know, yeah. like he's got a, a hell of an attitude. He absolutely knows his stuff, extremely, you know, cocksure and independent. It's Frank, Frank Borman, too, same yeah, kind of guy. Same kind of guy. And when it comes to, we need to put you in this tin can full of, you know, dynamite and throw you at the moon, can you handle this? Like, those are the types that are going to be able to do it. Right. And admire the hell out of it. Like, that's amazing. Yeah, that's it cool. is. Absolutely. Um, you do not want to go on a nine-month camping trip with that guy because he's going to make the best fire and he's going to cook all the best food and his bowline is going to be better than everybody's. And eventually, that sort of um, confidence, whether it's uh, deserved or not, becomes incredibly abrasive. And when you start getting into a mission length for anything from living at sea to going to Mars, you need people who are emotionally empathetic, who can listen as much as they can take care of you. Maybe they are hot shit, you can do whatever, but they don't need the two-thrown horn. They're uh, self-confident about it and don't need praise. Uh, they will see problems before they're developing and take care of it when it's just a gentle issue versus um, requiring a massive fix. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, in, in kind of closing, from my own perspective, I'd like to share, you know, I, I was earthbound dad, and uh, my wife and I, uh, you know, we, we took the time to resupply and, and we, we took some time to, to interact with uh, uh, the astronauts uh, in a simulated environment that was being studied and tested. And uh, there were all kinds of things we did. And it, it became very apparent to me that 
support systems both internal to the uh, the environment that the simulated uh, astronauts, uh, simulated Martian astronauts uh, were experiencing became very, very important, but so did support systems uh, on the ground. Uh, and then there was this other component, we, which we've kind of been talking about just a little bit from the importance of even if it takes 24 hours to get approval, but you need your time to go out and, and experience something, to get away, to have a break. Uh, and, and you talk about at times, you know, learning to cook and, and eating uh, some healthy food and, and investing in, in exercise. And, and my takeaway is just, I walked away from that saying, Boy, here we are taking people and putting them in an extreme environment, in an extreme stressful situation, and seeing what happens. And thankfully, we can do it here on the ground because if, if this thing goes, you know, ballistic in space and somebody just decides I've had enough and opens the door in space, everybody's dead, you know, and, and on, on a Martian volcano, or I'm sorry, on a Hawaiian <laughs> volcano, you know, the, you know that, that's not the true outcome. Uh, but... You know, I, I think looking, as I look at it, practices, uh, legal practices, and, and the life uh, that so many attorneys uh, uh, lead, I just think there are a lot of takeaways from that experience that are relevant to all of us. And uh, I encourage you, uh, if you're listening and, and find yourself in, in a stressful situation uh, at work, uh, you know, to, to look to your support systems, to, to, to try to emphasize, uh, if we already aren't, um, you know, uh, behaviors uh, that lead to wellness and behaviors that work for you. You know, I'm not trying to suggest you go out and learn to run and get a treadmill and do a marathon on a treadmill, you know. It, it, we, can ride biking, go fishing, you can learn to cook, uh, whatever floats your boat. Uh, but I, I do think uh, my observation from, from everything these uh, six folks went through was just to say wellness and support systems are far more important than I ever really honestly realized. And, and uh, that has impacted me ever since. Uh, I'm, I'm very, very proud uh, of, of all the uh, folks that went through this and was able to be there when they returned to Earth. And it just, it's, just, it's something uh, I will never forget. And I just lived it vicariously through my son, you know. So uh, um, Tristan, before we close out, is there any final comment you'd like to share or anything else? I, I do really appreciate yeah. you taking a little time here with Dad. But, yeah. but No, I mean, I worked in a, a firm for uh, nearly two years before going freelance with design and architecture yeah. and know what it's like to um, be in a very stressful environment where your yeah. boss doesn't super appreciate you and, uh, you know, you're working 75, 80 hours a week but being paid for 40 and everybody kind of does <laughs> yeah. it because, yeah. uh, you know, we're professionals and it's a pretty yeah. unsupportive, toxic culture. And... Um, I would say that um, a quote I enjoyed, and it applies, um, you know, call it the riches of your um, self-life or your intrinsic value, that sort of thing, uh -huh. is um, try not to be the uh, richest guy in the graveyard. Yeah. Uh, you don't need to be the most successful guy at work. You don't need to be the CEO. You don't need to have everybody like you. Like, if you just get by, take care of yourself, take care of the people that matter uh -huh. to you, and have a good life, like, you won. Yeah. yeah. Already. You don't need to be, you know... Yeah, Mr. Work Guy and everybody's go-to person, and especially when they're not taking care of you either. Right, right. The way I've said that over the years, it really isn't. Whoever has the most toys doesn't win. Yeah. You know, at the end, it's it's not about toys. It, it's it's about the experience. So, well, Tristan, I really, really appreciate uh, your willingness to take the time and sit down and have a chat with Dad, but to, to also uh, allow all these other folks that are listening in to, to be part of our uh, 
part of our conversation. Uh, so thank you very much. To all of you listening out there, I, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast and, and found something of interest or value to it. Uh, please, as always, if any of you have any topics of interest or other folks that you'd like to see if we can interview at some point, please don't hesitate to reach out. Uh, my email address is mbass, mbass, B-A-S-S, at alpsnet.com. Thanks, folks. It's been a pleasure. Bye-bye.